Petersfield's Shine Radio. Hello and welcome to the March edition of Drinking, Drinking with, with Phil and Mags. It's March, Phil. And I am sat here clad in my toga, keeping my eyes open on the 15th for anybody wandering around with a dagger and a fierce look in their eyes. Are you referring to the Ides of March, Phil? I am. And we're both sitting here very smugly, having remembered that it's the 15th before we had to Google it. Yes, we did have to Google it just to check, but there we go. I hope that makes us sound suitably impressive and intellectual. What are we talking about this month? Does anything to do with the subject of the show? With the the subject of the show, Phil, um, you, last month, said we would talk about Chasselas as the grape. I did. (laughs) uh, We're probably both regretting that slightly. We are both regretting that slightly. We're we're still going to do it. it, We will. We've got wine days, drinking days, opportunities to drink. Obviously, that's one of my favourite bits, so we'll talk about that. And you've been out and about again, haven't you? You're impressible. Where have you been this time? This month, I have been mostly drinking beer. Oh, a beery month. Been to Cheriton, to the brewery there. We've had a chat with the Powder Monkeys. And although it's not quite current now, I talked quite a lot about whiskey for Burns Night. Spoiler alert here, there's some whiskey days coming up in March, so we can... Oh. Yes. It's almost, almost like, like we planned it. It's almost like we planned it. And we didn't, but you know, no, no, it's, but it, it's nice to give that impression. Shasselas. Yes, Phil, why did you do this? Chasselas. Anyway, I've been on a voyage of discovery, so this is learning for everybody here. Chasselas. Um, I did Google several things that, um, well, make sure you spell it properly. That's all I'm saying. What, where, who? Where, what is it? Even. I'm intrigued what you found with the misspelling of it. <laughs> no, let's not go there. Um, anyway, so what have I learned about Chasselas? Do um, tell. I have learned a few bits. It's a white grape, mainly, although you can also get it in a red variety, oh. uh, mainly grown in Switzerland and France. Yes. But that's not to say that's the only place, because there's many grapes we know spread themselves around the world. It's also very popular in Hungary, Romania, New Zealand, Croatia and Chile. Is so it it's indeed? increasingly being grown, I think, as a bit of a blending grape. don't really know much about the style, so I'm intrigued by your recommendation and what you've got to say about it. But it makes a, typically makes a full, dry fruity wine in some places and in turkey actually is one of the places that they grow um this grape they grow it as an eating grape so it's one of those ones that plays both parts as a table Play- grape and a squashed table grape <laughs> plays both sides of the it fence plays both oh, sides. Okay. but apparently the taste is normally and very typically neutral and fresh and i think this is probably for why we don't see it and won't go aha there's a chasselet i must have it because i think it's mostly used really as a bit of a blending grape yes and it's really hard and unusual to find it on its own so bless you for trying for us <laughs> it does get a bit more flavor when you uh, age it on the leaves though gives it a little bit of texture and mm. some of the best varieties develop kind of nutty waxy and hay like flavors starting to veer a little bit more towards some chardonnay sort of like mm. chardonnay stuff so as i said it can grow red one of the most famous ones that i was reading a little bit about is um puy sur loire so that's got sauvignon in it and that's a bit vouvray-ish in its flavor because if you think about where it's grown it's like you pick up the terroir and vouvray is obviously yeah. from the loire and stuff like that but in, in my obvious linking ourselves to conversations about togas in the Ides of March I always like to look and we normally blame it on the Romans well you normally blame it on the Romans Romans, that we have so many different varieties of wine spread all across Europe this time I don't think we can because it's said to originate more in the Middle East and it was uh, one of the ones that the Phoenicians got involved with so I'm guessing it wasn't the Romans it was the Phoenicians it was the Phoenicians so I'm guessing the Romans were involved somewhere in getting it to France and Switzerland to get it planted up as a, a bit of a grape but historically it's really the origins are just known to be sort of more Middle Eastern. That's, what, that's what I can tell you about Chasselas. If, if you want something to drink with your cheese fondue, I could was be no say more that authentic yes, than a bottle of this. Very Switzerland. It's very, I also was feeling very raclette when I was reading about it. Were you? I was, because I like, who doesn't like a bit of raclette? Mm, I'm more of a fondue guy myself. More fond of a fondue? Yes. Mm. All, all that scraping. Food shouldn't be scraped. No, but it's the delicate little slices on the little shovels and the... Oh, no, it's the ritual of it. It's lovely. Mm. Anyway, either if you presented me with a raclette or a fondue, I wouldn't object. Um, and then if you obviously bought out a chasselas for me to enjoy with it, I'd go, 
ooh, what's this? Because I've never had it before and I'd be terribly excited. So, yeah. Ah, well, you may have had it before because as you, as you pointed out, it's, it's mainly used as a blending grape and I've got a couple of recommendations at mm. the end which I hope will entice people into trying something a little different. More of that later. Everybody who remembers Bill and Ben, the <gasps> flower pop men, <laughs> and little yeah, can I just say, for the record, I don't actually remember them. I just know of this. Please, yeah, yeah. Received wisdom. Uh, yes. Yeah, well, put your hands up now, because I went to visit the Flowerpot Man. <gasps> How exciting. And his name is Rupert Boissier. And he owns the Flowerpots Brewery in Cheriton. Hooray! And indeed the Flowerpots Pub, which is a wonderful pub. And I had a very interesting chat with him. Here we are in beautiful Cheriton, the chalkland, the streams, the countryside. Last time I was here, it was beautiful sunshine and we were out eating on the lawn and drinking the beer. And today I'm privileged to be with Rupert, who is the owner now. Is well, there's right? two, there's three of us. We live in the village and sadly the previous owners felt they had to sell and there was a fair amount of speculation as to what they were going to do, and everyone in the village was worried that it that the hub might change as a result. But two of us had sold our businesses from elsewhere mm-hmm. um, in the county and weren't doing a huge amount, and I was gently persuaded to come and have a look mm-hmm. at various parts of the business. And here we are today, um, three and a bit years later, um, having done quite a lot to the business without losing its soul which is the beer and the pub Mm -hmm. Um, and anyone who lives in Cheriton or nearby will tell you that the business has moved on to its next life is its next stage and we're getting a lot of support and the village is back to us the community's back to us Um, we are very community led and minded and it's been good fun yeah, and there's an, a natural, do you want it to stay how it is? Do we want to let others compete against us and go backwards? Or do we step onto the front foot and, you know, we've got the energy to do it. Amongst all this, we've had COVID. Yeah. And that was, you know, I'm not saying anyone had a, a beneficial COVID, but we did take advantage of it. We didn't, there were no customers around. So whilst our income dried up completely and we did get, some government grant from well, some grant from from which city council for which we were very grateful. We obviously were able to furlough most of the staff. Without that, it would have been very very difficult. But without any general public around at the time, it allowed us to do the works to the pub that needed doing. So we built a new kitchen and we built a barn, which now provides some form of function entertainment space for those needs and we built an out- a bar which we use in the summer as an outside bar then we realized we had to um move the toilets around and, <laughs> and everything so everything has a knock um, on knock on but particularly when you're dealing with a historic building and then um a uh, couple with that we expanded the brewery we delivered to over 200 pubs predominantly in hampshire we don't really go outside the county oh, 200 that's yeah, yeah. that's substantial um, and not every, not every week but hmm. we have a core 60, 70 customers who order every week and then the other ones are every fortnight or every three weeks. We take great pride in our car scale. You know, it's got to be that best possible pint you can drink on that day. So we work with the publicans as mm-hmm. best we can to, to deliver that. We brew six core beers ranging from a, our best seller, Guns Gold, to a, a session pale ale, all the way through to a porter and a stout. Mm-hmm. And um, would you say that you're kind of following the the English brewing tradition, or are you taking ideas from the rest of the world now? Uh, very much traditional. Mm-hmm. Very, very much traditional. I've got some younger brewers in the brewery who would like to be a bit more adventurous, but they recognise that what we brew, we sell. And we are at capacity. So we are looking at putting a, new, a slightly larger brewery in place, and we're working on that those plans at the moment. Uh, and it's really exciting because we we do have to turn some customers down because we haven't got enough beer. You just don't have it. But you know, at the same time, we are going through the a living crisis at the moment, and so people are, you know, thinking twice about going out and mm. etc. So we have to be mindful of that as well. You know, the site's been here since 
if it was a market garment from 18 back in the mid mid 19th century and they mm. allegedly brewed a pint in 1850 mm. but the current brewery has been here since the very early 90s and out of that has you know most the brewers who have been here have gone on and set up their own their right. own breweries right. in Hampshire and they're all very successful and and we all work together you know there's it's it's a brewing community. Well, yeah, and it's a it's a people it's such a people business. Yeah, and that is the the real attraction of it. You know, I'm sitting here we've never met before, and we talk about various things in in common, and it, it's fascinating. It's interesting. It's a real real people business, and that is both customers and the staff. And we all get we all get great enjoyment out of it. And if you don't, then you don't. What are you doing it for? No. Yeah. I'm I'm loving how upbeat you are about all of this when you took the place on three years ago ran straight smack into covid have now fallen out of covid into a cost of living crisis and you're smiling and enjoying the business and building it up i think that is just fantastic well as kind of you to say there was no but it is an enjoyable profession the thing that i have found is that if you go and talk to but any customer comes here on site they they tend to want to know what you're doing, particularly with the brewery. Mm. And so they start asking questions. I think a common theme for virtually all the breweries, I've, I've not been, I've been to, I mean, dozens of them, and I've never once not been welcomed. Not once. It's a real, people take real pride in producing a pint of beer. Mm. And that might be this, the ingredients, it's water, malt or barley. And hops. Now, you might have different hops, you might have different barley, you might have slightly different tasting water, but fundamentally, it's the same thing. And you can end up with a myriad of different types of beers. So there's creativity there. You know, we are, we are a giant home, you know, home brewer. We're not a great big, you know, we produce. Dozens and dozens of microbreweries springing up all over the place now as well, aren't they? Well, there are, but sadly last year, we're talking three figures in the country of brewers who've gone out of business yeah. because they haven't been able to cope with the price increase, et cetera, et cetera. People are, you know, people have a go, but the, but the, obviously the bigger you get and what we found, all the pubs are shut. We had no income, so we had to pivot. And I would say that every single piece of business management experience that I've ever encountered and any of us here have ever encountered came to the fore. And during that period, you know, that March 2020 through to September 2020, it was almost you didn't have time to make a decision. You just had to make a decision. Mm. And we didn't get every single thing right. But we've, we've never bottled beer before. It was just not done here. And we went, well, how are we going to get beer to the, the customer? So you know, when you suddenly realise that you're talking to one of the biggest bottlers in the country who you fail to mention that <laughs> you only want to brew, you only want to bottle 2,000 litres and he's expecting you to deliver 200,000 litres <laughs> and you've just wasted 45 minutes of his time. We brew the beer here, but we send it away to be bottled. We're sat here in your office, which is nice and cosy on this cold day, <laughs> which is nice. But I can see behind you, there's an array of bottles of beers from thither and yon. Most of them are undrunk, unfortunately, because they're all still full. But um, yeah, we love tasting different beers, get ideas, and obviously looking at different, you know, different brands beer. You know, you've got um, yeah, that's a local brewery. He turned up and gave us some of his beers. Um, you know, here we've got a, an oat ale. You know, we don't use oat uh, mm. oats, but yeah, we we experiment. We bring out a seasonal special mm-hmm. every month, sometimes two a month. Christmas is two a month. Okay, and they they're either light or dark, all sorts of ABVs. We get phone calls all the time going, "You will put me down for some of your spring loaded at Easter, <laughs> or some of your four candles at Christmas, or your storm chaser in September." Um, brilliant, and, um, brilliant you know, and yeah you do spend a lot of time i sat at a, at a brewer's meeting yesterday and we were talking about the beer with the new one we're coming out in march and i talked to the head brewer about it i said well i'm reckon we could call it xyz he said no you deal with that i'll deal with brewing the beer you come up with the name <laughs> um but we do obviously collaborate on, on that our biggest critic are our locals mm. who are in the bar in the pub every day and 
they will tell you if the pint's right or wrong. But also when we produce a special, they'll tell you if they like it or not. You know, we do an elder ale, which we've been doing for a very, very long time. We pick the elders fresh, the elder flowers fresh in June mainly, and then brew it. And they, they go mad for it. And the village goes, oh, elders are at the pub. And they all flock up and have a pint of elder. And we only do one brew of it, which is mm. um, about 38 casks. And various other pubs take it. And we, before you know it, within, within a week it's gone. And that provides a bit of excitement, you know, for those who like like our beer. As I've got you, and this is entirely selfish, Yeah, I remember 12 years ago, may even be longer... I was at the Petersfield Beer Festival in the Festival Hall, yeah, yeah. in the middle of Petersfield, and I had a pint of fire pots, which was, <laughs> which was dosed with chilli. It was an amazing pint. I mean, really incredibly unusual. Do you think that there's a chance that that might ever make its way onto your specials list? It could do. We've got uh, the previous owners, Paul and Joe, they brewed all sorts over the years. Um, with the various brewers they had here, and I know Firepots was one of the, was one of them. Uh, we do have limited capacity, so we can't just produce them all mm. of the time. And I do get the likes of yourself coming into the office, going, "Have you brewed X recently?" And we go, "Well, no, but we'll think about it." And who knows? One day we might bring out something. We might bring out Firepots again with that a little bit of hint of chili in it. Well, there's plenty to look out for there, and. For those of us in Petersfield, tell us, are we able to buy this beer in any of the many drinking establishments around Petersfield? Yes. Well, the townhouse we deliver to quite a lot. Um, we've got Parsfield Social Club, the general wine uh, store down by the station, and then the various villages nearby, Elstead or Rogate, uh, even further down towards Hawkley and Liss. Mm. We're you know, reasonably popular over that side of, of things. But we spread ourselves throughout the county. And for the full experience, why not come and visit the pub next to the brewery? It's all here. You can eat, you can drink, you can enjoy the countryside. It's a lovely spot in the world. Well, we're really lucky. We're really lucky that we're in the South Downs. Very deliberate that we stay in the county and not go further further afield because we don't have the capacity to go any bigger at the moment with the distribution involved. And I do like to try and keep us keep us local particularly also for the pub. So we get our trout from the River Test. The grain from our brewery uh, gets fed to a herd of cattle in Osbury, which is three miles away. And then we take that beef and use it for Sunday night roasts and our our burgers and things in the kitchen. The fish, well, actually comes up from Newlyn every day, so that's not very local. But, <laughs> but uh, the vegetable, all the veg comes from um, Borden um, every day. And so we try and keep it as local as possible. Rupert, thank you ever so much for chatting with us My today. My pleasure. Thank you very much for coming to the pots. And um, we should probably get our pint, shouldn't we? Sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> How fabulous. That sounds amazing. Now, what this has sparked for me, Phil, is a little memory of you telling me once upon a time about a beer that you tried. That the, was made the fire pots. With chilies. Beer and chilies, obviously, it's going to be a winning combo. Is that the same outfit? I mean, uh, obviously, he's these, just taken these are the guys. This it, is, but that's the guys, yeah? These are the guys. <gasps> tell me, tell me, are they going to make it again? I, I don't know. He was interested to hear about it. It wasn't on his list of things that they'd done, because obviously it's quite a few years ago, but... Mm. I got the impression that he was intrigued by the idea. Yes, well, some audience feedback normally helps, doesn't it, if you're kind of encouraging it along. But beer and chilli, that's amazing. Well, thank you very much, Rupert, for spending some time with us. You're listening to Drinking with Phil and Mags on Petersfield Shine Radio. So, what have you been up to? Drinking-wise, well, all I have to say, the other night, some fish and chips, always very tasty, and I went fertling about in the back of my wine fridge and okay I thought what haven't we had for a while and I came out with a bottle of Alberino and I like an Alberino and it did go very well with the chip shop chips I have to say Probably not their serving suggestion, but it did I, get extraordinary. Yeah, it well, doesn't actually. immediately leak no, to no, mind. No, no, but um, it was really, really tasty. I mean, you've got to like try wine and food pairings with different things, haven't you? But no, really lovely. Like, obviously, the northwestern Spain, like quite 
bit minerally, bit flinty, really rounded, quite acidic, just but just mm, but Alberniers usually got that little hint of floral on the nose mm, as well. They're really which subtle, I think makes very it. elegant wines, which we wouldn't think you would a bit of fish and chips mm. in the chippy, because I don't do the fish and chips in the chippy well, very often, but but it works surprisingly well. So. Well, talk, talking about wine and food, I was out for a curry recently. Mm. And I always go for a cobra or a kingfisher yes, with a curry. Yes, of course. But looked at the wine list because, you know, that's, that's what you yeah. do. And they didn't have any Indian wine. And as we know, we yeah, talked well, we about before. About it, yeah. There are some great, very, very drinkable Indian wines are, yeah. around the place. But this list didn't even have the Gewurztraminas or Rieslings, which which are good wines good to, to go have with a bit of spicy food. With spicy yeah. food, you need yeah. a little bit of sweetness yeah, yeah. in there, and it was a basically Spanish white, which you know, I mean I'm, can be completely acceptable. And if you're in the sunshine in Spain, is often very but acceptable. As a pairing, but as a pairing, as a pairing, no, 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 no. That's that's not going to do not the doing wine anything. any favors, and it's not, not going to do the food for any favors. That reminds me though, the Spanish wine thing. I've got I work people. I'm a afraid I do um, and we've got an event coming up and so I've been picking the canapes and things like that to, mm. to have to entertain our crowds and try and impress them and of course this is this is part of my job and I'm looking at the wine list and I would like to lament that on all of the wine lists for all of the venues I've looked at and this is in London really rubbish cheap Spanish wine and now I like Spanish wine we've talked about it before very interesting Big fan. but it's just the most bland and indistinct thing and that's all i can think is they're trying to do is they're trying to crowd please by finding something that's really indistinct and is unnoticeable but in doing inoffensive that, inoffensive is a delightful word for it but in doing that they've lost any kind of character or anything actually delicious because i asked to taste some of them and they would they just weren't very nice and you're like, I'm standing there, kind of, I've had a hard day at work, I've got to come out to this networking reception. The last thing I want is, like, a glass of, like, white wine vinegar, really. But that's that's what it was. So, yeah, so I'm, I'm a that's bit conflicted a about all of that. And then I have to say, went out on Monday night. Don't normally go out on a Monday night, but I was out in the smoke. Special offer on for people who work for charities, which I do, mm-hmm. at a karaoke bar. So we had a oh, karaoke God. booth from six till eight. The wine list, I was really pleased to see that their cheapest option was not just a terrible Pinot Grigio. It was actually a Trebbiano, and it was oh. perfectly acceptable. It wasn't the best Trebbiano I've ever had in my entire life, but I was able to buy a bottle and spread it amongst my singing colleagues. Mm-hmm. I had to drive home and watch them get hilariously inebriated and, <laughs> and much more vocal. I left at the crucial point to listen. But I was really impressed that they, it wasn't just the really obvious Pinot Grigio. They had a Chenin and a Trebbiano and a Chardonnay and I was just like do you know what for a karaoke bar dive that's actually not that bad really is it so I haven't I haven't drunk a lot of wine this month but I've had my ups and downs with it but I have tempted you into a small glass this evening I I, I hope you're enjoying this I am actually I can't pronounce it Phil we're we're having a Trollinger Mittlenberger I know which sounds like something edible actually doesn't it from Heilbrunn this is because you are off on a little jolly soon aren't you Uh, we will be visiting the town and uh, yes we will be celebrating I'm sure there will be some content their wine and their beer and yeah no doubt some of their pork products as well yes thank you phil has given me this lovely glass it's really really nice actually quite i never it's, i can't say i've ever had it before it's light it's full really of raspberries light, it's got a nice taste kind of cherry gumdropsy thing oh, really quaffable to just very... sit there and have a nice little sip through the evening yeah just just nice and light yeah absolutely ideal Friendly ideal wine. as stated with full transparency i was mainly the beer head on for mm-hmm. this month. Yeah. And one of the people that I spoke to was the Powder Monkeys. Ooh. Now, I had some of their beer at Christmas. Yes. I bought a six-pack of you know, the different brews. Mm-hmm. Really interesting stuff. I thought, these are people to talk to. They're actually based in the old gunpowder store over in Gosport. Oh, yeah. Fantastic, fantastic building. Oh, yeah. Really interesting brewing. Really interesting taste to the beer. I thought, let's talk to these guys. Absolutely. So I did. Oh, brilliant. I'm Mark. I'm the head brewer here at Powder Monkey. So we're, you know, a relatively new setup. We've kind of been up and running fully for just coming up two years now. So I've been involved with the company since essentially its origins. Uh, my background is in uh, actually biochemistry, funnily enough. So oh, really? I studied 
uh, Oxford University for, for four years, doing a master's degree in biochemistry there, and spent the majority of that time drinking beer, which is where the, uh, <laughs> the love affair really started with beer. And then Speaking as somebody who, who studied chemistry and then did a PhD in chemistry, I can very much relate to the close, intimate connection between chemistry and beer. Exactly that. And then especially, you know, biochemistry, you know, it has so many great parallels with brewing. And, and that's very much influenced the way, you know, I've, I've kind of approached brewing and the way we do things here. It's treated very much as a science with lots of mm. creativity as well, but controlled creativity and everything kind of done from that um, scientific angle. So originally I was, you know, like yourself, kind of considering staying on for a PhD, but I wanted to give brewing I go professionally up until that point. I was kind of just mostly a beer enthusiast as opposed mm. to a, a full-blooded brewer. I've been now been brewing professionally for about uh, six years, I think it is, five, six years. Having spent a couple of years uh, in Derby, my hometown, uh -huh. and I moved down to Powder Monkey as this place was uh, just looking to start up. It, doesn't, it seems like <laughs> it doesn't really seem like that long since I've moved down. But yeah, now, now Time flies when you're having fun. Yeah. Exactly that. Now kind of fully established and up and running. One of the reasons that I wanted to have a chat with you, Mark, is because come Christmas time, I met your colleague Marcus and yes. bought some of your lovely beer, which I duly quaffed. And I thought, there's some very interesting ideas going on. I felt there was a little bit of a winemaking approach in your brewing, thinking particularly of the Brute IPA. Oh, precisely. That's, that's almost the first. There's, there's two that I was going to mention, and that's one of them, which is, uh, at the minute, my, my favourite beer <laughs> in, in the series. I find myself saying that more and more often, so I'll have to... <laughs> I mean, winemaking uh, requires a lot more patience than I have, <laughs> because it's, it's all about, you know, these, these drawn-up processes. Brewing is... It's handy because for most ales, it, it is quite a quick turnaround, so you, you get that uh, reward quite quickly for your mm. efforts. But, and with the Brute IPA, one of our recent, more recent additions to the range, and it's a style that sort of became popular quite a few years ago um, in America and had a small resurgence of popularity in, in the UK, but you don't really see them very often now. And for anyone who's I suppose, not familiar, uh, a Brute IPA is a champagne-inspired IPA. Yeah. So what we're trying to do with this beer is, is replicate the, the profile of a, of a champagne. So if you think of a, particularly a brute champagne to be you know, dry and crisp and no kind of residual sweetness, uh, that's what we've tried to, tried to replicate in this beer. So ordinarily what would lend those characteristics of a, a full mouthfeel and a, a sweetness in a beer are the residual sugars that are left over in the finished product. And what we actually do in this case is add in an exogenous enzyme to actually break down those sugars so the finished product has potentially no, no mouthfeel, which mm. translates to a very dry finish in the beer. But you've also got the floral and citrus aroma that comes from the hops. So you've got that IPA hop aroma profile coupled with the, the mouthfeel and the dryness of the champagne. So in terms of process, it's, it, it is quite dissimilar to winemaking, but the end goal <laughs> oh, yeah, is kind of yeah. what's inspired by the winemaking. And you said that there were two that you felt maybe had that kind of ethic yeah, behind so, them what was the other one so there's another that kind of has a, a very much has a, a white wine influence again in terms of process it's not too dissimilar but what we've tried to achieve this is one of our beers called the barbecue sizzler which is second in a range of, of barbecue beers we've produced mm -hmm. so beers designed specifically to pair with barbecue food and in this beer in particular the, the two hops we've used both have a white wine character so they use these hops there's one new zealand hop called uh, nelson Sovin and then one German hop called um, Hallertal Blancs, uh, and both of those derive their name from Sauvignon Blanc. So you've got that mm -hmm. white grape gooseberry character, and it's a very light drinking, again, quite dry mm. beer, so it has flavours that are reminiscent of a white wine. We haven't gone as far as to, to use wine yeast, which is something that there's been a few experimental trials done in, oh, in beers, and something that we might play around with this year on our pilot system, but another one that's kind of a, a wine-inspired beer, I guess you could call it without having too many parallels in the process. The beer market is getting increasingly crowded. We see a lot of artisan craft beer coming about and a lot of microbreweries popping up here and there. I get a sense that, whilst not being Worthington's, you're no small operation, are you? I'd probably say we're mid-sized microbreweries. So uh, at the moment, we have a 25 hectolitre four-vessel uh, steam-powered brew house. So mm. that translates to each brew roughly in the region of, say, call it 5,000 pints. <laughs> Yeah, that keep me going for the weekend. Yeah, yeah lovely. Exactly. <laughs> it's, a, it's a decent amount of product. So 
we then have a, a fermentation capacity of about 150 hectolitres. So at the minute, we're brewing sort of once or twice a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are, as I speak to you, uh, just in the preparation of expanding that fermentation capacity. So we have three more vessels on the way and another uh, packaging tank as well. So that should allow us to start brewing sort of three or four times a week. So we're close to doubling our um, capacity at the minute, which is quite nice yeah. to have, you know, come up in these first couple of years. We've already kind of seen that demand for expansion. So <laughs> Fantastic. fingers crossed everything will keep going quite well. <laughs> Before we leave the, the, the whole idea of, of the beers that you make, I believe you had a, a special beer which was dedicated to the Mary Rose. Tell us a little bit about how that came about. Our uh, branding powder monkey, I mean, I, I didn't really mention too much at the start, but something that makes us quite unique as a brewery is actually the building that we're housed in. It's a former gunpowder store, so that's where the name Powder Monkey comes from. That was the name given to the, the boys and girls that would actually run the powder to the ship. So this is a, a building that we've restored together with Heritage England, um, you know, it, we've restored it in such a way that we've, they're happy we've preserved the history, and then we've put the super modern brew house in and amongst that kind of old uh, architecture. What I'm kind of getting at there is that we've got a lot of naval ties mm. with the brand, so it was a kind of a natural partnership to work together with the Mary Rose Museum, and of course we were very excited to be able to say that we're able to produce the official beer of the Mary Rose Museum. We kind of both had this idea for a beer, and what I wanted to do was something that really linked into the story of the Mary Rose Museum. So before any kind of recipe development went on or anything like that, I actually uh, took a trip around the museum and, to, you know, sort of look for inspiration, something that would spark an idea for the beer. And it is quite, you know, it's a fantastic um, exhibit. And as part of it, there's the, the chef's quarters, essentially, where they kind of have all the herbs and the and spices that were found preserved as the ship was recovered. Something that did kind of strike me was these whole peppercorns that were preserved on the ship. So that's an idea of the sort of flavour I mm-hmm. wanted to incorporate into the beer, which, you know, just strikes as quite unusual for a beer <laughs> to have this kind of savoury mm, um, flavour. And the way we beer. managed to achieve it was actually we produced a, a wheat beer, which is brewed with a Belgian yeast, a style of yeast that actually has quite a savoury sort of clove, almost bready character in the beer. And then we've used, again, two New Zealand hops, which are quite unusual. So they're called Pacifica and Pacific Jays, and they both have this cracked pepper element to the beer, um, as well as a bright citrus character, which kind of keeps it light. Yeah, it, 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 it is a bit of an unusual style, but one that's proved really, really popular, and I think in general does kind of capture the, <laughs> the, the feel oh, of fantastic. the museum, if you like. A modest chap you are, Mark, because you've not mentioned that this beer has won a medal. Oh, of course, yes. Uh, uh, (laughs) Of course, he says. Oh, yeah, amongst all the medals that we've got. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, we did have a bit of a a scoop of medals towards the end of last year, which is obviously a nice way to to round things off, a bit of an early Christmas present for ourselves here at the breweries. The the Mary Rose in particular won silver, so we're in the southeast category of the Seaver Awards, the Society of Independent Brewers Association. So, you know, they essentially run the competitions for, for microbreweries such as ourselves, everywhere from small to large operations mm-hmm. enter into this. And the, and the southeast kind of encompasses uh, London and Bristol and Brighton. So some big, big names in the sort of beer scene. So, it's, you know, it's really so nice. When we're quite to, an accolade. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice to get that, that recognition. Having whetted our listeners' appetites with the descriptions of the beer and the fantastic attention to detail that you're bringing to this, where can we go and buy them? Where can we drink them? The easiest place to find us is on powdermonkeybrewing.com. So that's where you can order uh, mixed cases or cases of your whole uh, favourite brews, if you've got any in particular. But, you know, a lot of our business is done into trade in pubs across Hampshire. Any in Petersfield? The, the townhouse in Petersfield, so... Do you know, I would, I would have guessed the townhouse. The townhouse, I know we've supplied on a, a number of occasions. So. They are listeners. Get yourselves down there and have a little taste of Powder Monkey. And they can also come and visit, can't they? Because you do tours. Yeah. Because you, you've got this amazing historic building, your brew house, um, and maybe the odd glass of beer. Uh, exactly that. You know, we don't let people go thirsty when they're on the tour. <laughs> um, <laughs> Well, Mark, thank you so much for chatting with us today. All right, no problem. Nice talking to you, Phil. So there we are, the, the powder monkeys. I, I was I was really captivated by that because I work with the National Museum of the Royal Navy. Yes. And have often told tales of 
powder monkeys and yeah. the doings of the ships and the port and yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, gunpowder and cannons. It's a very expressive name, isn't it? Powder it monkeys. Is. It's, it's quite distinctive and it really stand out on the shelf. You're listening to Drinking with Phil and Mags on Petersfield Shine Radio. So, Mags, one of your favourite spots in the show, the drinking days of the month. What are our excuses this month? Our excuses are plentiful. So we were a bit short on the ground in January and it wasn't that great in February. We are back, people. That's all I can say. Spring has sprung. So we're going to start on the 3rd of March and we've got three different things to celebrate on the 3rd of March. So it's going to be quite a busy day. We might need to pace ourselves um, and we might need to put these in an order of preference. But it's Irish Whiskey Day. So that's obviously Irish Whiskey with an E. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Oh, yes. With, a, with an E. Uh, it's Moscow Mule Day. Oh. Although, obviously, we're still protesting against Putin's uh, invasion of yes, the Ukraine. Yes. So that we might do be not one support that we could have a, yeah. the Putin regime. Uh, yes, we could mule, have a Mule Day. Yeah. Well, you can, you can do uh, a non-alcoholic mule. You absolutely. just leave the vodka out. Yes, absolutely. And it's actually quite quite a good yeah, some driver's drink. Nice tip. I quite enjoy it. And that, that might get us over both our political disdain and the fact that exactly. there's also one other day that we have to celebrate on the 3rd, and that's National Mulled Wine Day. And it always March. surprises me in that March. this comes up in March, but it's National Mulled Wine Day. I would say it's never too late. Which nation? Well, it, it just... can't be ours, can it? Well, uh, possibly. Who's in the middle of winter in March? Yeah, but I don't, I don't think we should say no, Phil, because it's mulled wine, and we've talked about mulled wine before, and it is quite good. Yeah, it is good, and... Uh, and sometimes it can be a little bit nippy in March, and you might oh, need to just a little perker upper. You can still get a frost. Now, cast a cloud air may be out. Yes, exactly. Whatever, yes, whatever that means. I do know what that means, but it's just it's one of those phrases, isn't it? Anyway, so we get a day to recover from those three different options that we're presented with on that day. I haven't even... Oh, noticed. that's good. That's it's good. Weekday, always have, always have an alcohol-free day. Yes, I'm terribly sorry to my colleagues if that's a weekday. Um, absinthe day. Absinthe makes the heart grow fonder. <laughs> no, this is the classic no. We wheel this out all the time. So the 5th is Absinthe Day. Um, you probably then won't get any more time until the 15th. Uh, you will probably <laughs> take you that spark night to recover, depending how, uh, how good it is. Um, so obviously Kylie, uh, lovely little tiny Kylie Minogue, was um, queen of like the resurgence of absinthe, and she's got a branded bottle that's around and about. You might see a bottle of there. absinthe. Yeah. So yeah, really, yeah. Wow. There, there was a massive resurgence in it in in cocktail land amongst all the hip people, Phil. This will be why we haven't heard of it down here, because it was amongst all the hip people up the in London. The hip people? Yes, the hip people in the cocktail bars in London. Oh. It was quite the thing to have absinthe a couple of years ago. I, I did drink some of her wine yes, this, I had some this last Kylie. month. Yes, I some Kylie I had bits. some Kylie. Yeah, um, Kylie Pink. The Sauvignon Blanc I had. I've had the Sauvignon. And I've, I've had the right. Prosecco. And it was, I mean, for, for celebrity-endorsed products, it was actually perfectly acceptable, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. I sound like I'm being very scathing when I say it's perfectly acceptable. <laughs> perfectly acceptable. I don't... I don't... I sp- Batty there over the floor. <laughs> no, 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 I don't mean that to be scathing. It's like, you know. Anyway, uh, let's move ourselves on to the 15th. We'll need some coffee to recover from all this. It's espresso martini day, Phil. Ah, beautiful. Nice. I know Noni Needs has done a, a great ex- espresso martini recipe, mm. and you've done one of your own. I have, absolutely. Yeah, right in with yours. Status. Yes, absolutely. Can't go wrong with a bit of an espresso martini. Now, the 17th of March, very, very famous day. It's St. Patrick's ah, Day. Ah, sure, and Begorra. Yes, apologies. It's for the Irish, Irish Whiskey Day. There, again. It's, yes, again, again. St. Patrick's Day. To oh, be I sure, think to the be best sure. way to celebrate that is wearing green and uh, having a Guinness. A Guinness or a Smithwick's. Other stouts are available. available. Murphy's. Yeah. I used to drink a lot more Murphy's than I did Guinness, actually. It's harder to find, that. though. That's the thing. I when in my university days, and they were short lived, probably good, because otherwise my liver probably would have walked off on its own by now. And of course, Guinness was, was a mistake. It was made by mistake. Was it? Yeah. They, they over toasted the, the malt mm. and then made a drink with it and it came out as this black stuff oh my god what have you done what have you done oh, oh no, this no, is no, alright it's to be really delicious and I, I do remember it used to be like served to nursing mothers and recommended and things like that back in the days of yore before you could practically get a prescription <laughs> for it 
Well, I'm sure this is why I like it because my mum used to have it when she was looking after me. <laughs> I'm sure it's that, was, that was in the bottle. Was yes, it? <laughs> it's transmitted through my mother's milk. Yeah. Anyway, the twentieth. So this relates back to your lovely theme for the month, which has been very beery. It's Bock Beer Day. Ah. Would you like to tell you about Bock Beer? Oh, tell about me about Bock Beer. Bock Beer is celebrates a lager in the German Einbeck region, um, Saxony. That's where it's from. It contains lots of different varieties in Bock beer, so it's quite a light beer. But Hellebock, Hellesbock, and Mannybock. And I quite like those names. I thought that sounded quite nice. Hellebock, Hellesbock, Mannybock. And you can get Superbock and Doublebock. And you can probably bock on along as much as you like. It's quite a malty beer, bit bready, crusty, bit toffee but not very hoppy. Not very hoppy, no. Not very hoppy. No. So it's not like it's not going to be a beer bunny or anything like that. Um, and we start, we end as we started, really, because on the 27th of March, it's International Whiskey Day. That's whiskey without the E. So I think more generic whiskey. So generic whiskey. Scottish whiskey. Everybody's making Irish it now. whiskey, Welsh whiskey. English whiskey. whiskey. English whiskey. The Japanese make whiskey. They do. I've got a bottle downstairs. It's not awfully good. Oh, Although yeah. I've had other yeah, Japanese other, ones which, yeah, which are good. The worst yeah. one I ever tasted was a Thai whiskey. Oh, challenging. That that was just not, to be fair, in many not, parts of Southeast Asia I've had many questionable spirits. <laughs> I, I was remembering this because a colleague of mine has just booked on a trip to Vietnam. Um, I drank this very dubious stuff called banana champagne on the Reunification Express when I was in Vietnam. That sounds enticing. I'd want to drink that. Yes, uh, listener, don't. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, so there you go. Lots to keep us occupied in March. Well, thank you for that. And thank you for leading us into the thought of whiskey. Whiskey, whiskey. And it's because... almost again like we planned it, but we didn't. <laughs> Casting our minds back. To the end of January, it was, of course, Baron's Night. Baron's Night. And uh, sadly, I was tied up with an acting job that night, so I didn't get my haggis on the night. But I did, that week, have the opportunity to talk to our own volunteer, Joe Gray, about whiskey, with and without an E. Excellent. Here's here's that for you. Joe, we're going to talk about whiskey with Burns Night coming up. Yeah, whiskey and with Burns Night... I'm assuming it's going to be Scotch, not Irish whiskey. Is that correct? Well, that would be traditional. And it's easy to tell the difference between the two because Scotch whiskey is spelt without an E and Irish whiskey is spelt with an E. I did not know that. Well, there you go. Do you know why that is? Or is it just an historical oh, I think, language I think that, thing? I think that's lost in the mists of time. And probably one or other of them going, aye, well, if they're going to do it that way, we'll do it the other way. Yeah, oh, totally. It has to be different, <laughs> doesn't it? So, other than the spelling, is there a difference between the two? Well, yes, there is. And there's a difference in the way that it's made and also in what it's made from. Now, obviously, things vary from one distillery to another. But generally speaking... Scotch whiskey comes in, <laughs> I was going to say two flavours. So you've got your malt whiskey, which is made from malted barley in a pot still. So it's a batch process. Is it and like one of those big kind of copper skillet type things? Well, big, weirdly shaped copper vessel. Mm -hmm. And you have grain whiskey, ordinary blended whiskey, which can be made in a continuous still, which kind of looks like a really clean oil refinery a little bit. Is it a bit like a chemistry set on a large it's scale? very much like a chemistry set on a really big scale. And am I guessing that is the cheaper version? That is the, cheap, that is the cheaper version. The, the grain whiskey process is the cheaper. And the you cheaper say grain, what, what kind of grain? Typically barley, but I was coming to the difference between your Scotch whiskey and your Irish whiskey. So in Scotland... Your good whiskey, your malt whiskey, is going to be double distilled. In Ireland, it's going to be triple distilled, but they tend not to malt their barley. So the flavours are lighter and sweeter. So if you like a light sweet whiskey, you're probably going to enjoy Irish whiskey more than you're going to enjoy a Scotch malt whiskey. So Scotch, is it heavier, would you say? Yes, in Scotland there are a number of different regions which are known for different characteristics. So you get your lowland whiskies, your Speyside, your Highland and your Islands whiskies. So out in the islands you tend to have something that's a bit more peaty. So something like Lagavulin will be 
I mean, to my palate, is almost medicinal, really strongly flavoured. The sort um, of thing you have if you're really ill and you need a tot of whiskey. Oh, that, that will get you back on your feet. It'll raise the dead, that stuff. If only to run away from it. <laughs> I'm, being, I'm being terrible about peated whiskey. Some people absolutely love them. My personal preference is I like the Speyside and the Highland whiskies. And Speyside and Highland, is that where it's all kind of the lovely countryside, the rolling hills and almost mountains? That Speyside, have... you're along the banks of the, of the lovely river Spey, a lovely fishing river. And you're heading up towards Aviemore, and once you get beyond there, you're into the highlands. The highlands with the mountains and the heather and the the eye and the caber and all of that. I was going to come on to the heather, because I kind of think of rolling hills and the beautiful scenery in heather. Does the heather have any impact on the flavour, or is that irrelevant, do you think? The heather? No. I mean, there might be somebody somewhere in in a shed who's who's malting the barley by burning heather underneath it, but not that I know of. Maybe there's an idea. <laughs> the whiskey that we skipped over is the the ordinary come-in-the-garden blended whiskey, uh, the bells, the teachers, the stuff that you'd pick up in the supermarket, which tends to be a little bit cheaper than the malt whiskey and normally is a blend with a little malt whiskey and... Uh, a, a majority of grain whiskey in so they still the grain whiskey come is from, cheaper to produce. They still come from Scotland. But it's ones. still from Scotland. Scotch whiskey. And so a blend, I'm learning, it's a different blend of maybe cheaper grains. No, the grains will be consistent, but you will tend to use uh, malts from different places to model that flavour profile. And then it, you're kind of making it up than with the grain whiskey, which is generally a little less assertive in terms of its flavour. So looking at the top end of, of the whiskies or the scotch, what makes them different? What makes them different? And uh, what are the top ones? <laughs> well, your... I mean, the top ones, you know, there are literally hundreds of different whiskies that you can get. And there's all kinds of technicalities in the process that can determine what your whiskey then tastes like. But one of the key things is how long you age it and what you age it in. So for Scotch whiskey to be Scotch whiskey, it's got to be made in Scotland, number Mm -hmm. one, and it's got to be aged for at least three years and one day. So it's at least three years old when you get it. Very important. Absolutely. And it's aged in oak barrels. All of them, whatever the brand or type, they're all aged in oak. Doesn't matter, it's got to be aged in oak. Okay. Not new oak, not like Bordeaux. Uh, If you had new oak, the the flavour that would be extracted by that really, really strong spirit would blow your absolute socks off. So it's in barrels which have been used previously, sometimes for sherry, sometimes for wine, often for bourbon. They're shipped over here from the States. I never know if it's bourbon. bourbon or bourbon, but that's biscuits. I think bourbon it? is the biscuit and bourbon is the drink. <laughs> Don't <laughs> get the two gonna... confused. Well, you could have them together, I guess. I don't know. Can you dip a bourbon in a bourbon? Oh, I'm Write sure in somebody, if you've tried. <laughs> somebody, some, listeners, let us know if, if that's <laughs> doable. But going back to the, the casks, or the barrels, hmm. it's interesting to know that they're reused. I wonder if they have really ancient ones that have had all sorts of different things brewed in it, if that's the word, Well, generally, and then it's, recent ones. It's not a case of there's been lots of different things in it. There will have been a thing in it before they've used it. But it may be 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years old. Because one of the key components in the expense of whiskey is how long you've aged it. So if you look down the shelves of Mark whiskies, you will see, oh, well, here's a, here's a five-year-old, here's an eight-year-old, here's a 10, 12, 15, 20-year-old. And of course, the longer that you've aged it, you've kept it in bond in your aging warehouse up in Scotland somewhere. Each in some magnificent castle's dungeon. That's how I picture it. Well, feel free to picture it like that. Most of them aren't remotely like that. <laughs> but 
each year you keep it, you lose a little bit. Because remember, you've, you've put a very strong spirit in this barrel. And what the spirit likes to do is evaporate. So this is what they call the angel's share. And if you go into one of these warehouses, all over the wall you will see black mould, which is basically sucking up all the, the lovely evaporated alcohol from the whiskies. Does it, does it evaporate through the barrel? It does, through yes. Wood? So the barrel is breathing and a little bit is getting out each year. So by the time you get to 20 years, you've lost quite a bit of the product that you made You've paid for keeping it for 20 years under the ideal conditions. And it was 20 years ago that you put your money into making it. So that's why those old ones are really dear. If I visited one of these, I'd like to say, sort of glorious dungeons, but <laughs> warehouse or something, can, can if when this process is going on, would somebody like me be able to go in there and smell the air and inhale it? You would, except um, because these are all bonded warehouses, they wouldn't let you in. Bonded? What does that mean? A bonded warehouse means that you haven't paid the duty on the booze at this point. Because if you think about it, I filled this barrel, I put it in the warehouse. If I was charged the duty on that barrel at that point, I'd be paying for a full barrel. But when I take it out and put it in the bottle, I've got the equivalent of half a barrel. Mm -hmm. So... The duty is levied when it comes out of the bonded warehouse and goes into the bottle. And mixed with, well, you say dilute it. So what goes in with it in the bottle that we would buy off the shelf? Well, that's an interesting question. So the vast majority of uh, Scotch whiskey is bottled in Glasgow and it's diluted with deionized water. So that's very, very pure water. But Balvini and Glenfiddich which are both made in the, in the same place um, by the same people up in Speyside, they do actually dilute with the Scottish spring water that they've used in the whole ah, of the making process. Okay. So arguably that is the most authentic. Jura whiskey. Aye, Jura. Is that a special one? Um, well, it, it's one of the many distilleries up in Scotland. And now you find that there's a number of the ones which closed down some years ago, are opening back up again and getting back into production. Are there any new sort of modern types over the last couple of years that have come in to force and are different, do you know? Well, yes, there's, there's always a, a new bit of branding and a, a, a new way of, of selling an old product coming about. And one of the things that we're seeing now is that some of the, the new small producers are producing a very refined whiskey, which they sell to you, but with no age designation on it. So we're used to going out and buying, I'll have a 10-year-old, I'll have a 12-year-old. But now it's just, it's given some wonderful name. Um, there was one which I tried recently, which was a kind of mountaineering whiskey named after rocks, but with no <laughs> age designation, because that gives them the flexibility to create a blend from a number oh, okay. of different malt whiskies of different ages so they're making it to a particular flavor profile and they don't push that age thing they say well age is irrelevant it's what it tastes like that matters there is a good point to that and it also i'm guessing is widening the spectrum of people that would try these things because I'm, I'm guessing uh, and i don't know if it's an age thing where i'm generalizing here that older person would like the proper old expensive whiskies and maybe <laughs> somebody with a younger palate would prefer one of the more modern new types whiskey is one of those things that you do kind of grow into now it's at 15 a malt whiskey is that much uh, but if you persevere, you will be rewarded. So I encourage you to go out and try it. Oh, in moderation, in moderation. I was going to say, I bet you've persevered over the years. Oh, it's been a tough old job, I'll tell you that. <laughs> but yes, generally there are, there are lighter whiskies which are made to appeal to, to a younger market. And uh, you've only got to look at the, the advertising. You've got and the, uh, the likes of I'm David Beckham promoting... 
think it's a Hague. Yeah, he's uh, wearing in a, in his tweed, fan- looking authentic and getting paid. Yeah, fancy blue bottle. Uh, it's a it's yeah. a blended whiskey, but but with the a lot Beckham of effort has gone into it. it. <laughs> but with a Beckham stamp on it, you know, drink this, you'll be able to uh, bend it like Beckham. <laughs> and or another fall thing, over it like Beckham. <laughs> after a few, but another thing I've just thought is some people mix it with ice and some people don't. Is that correct? The great argument is: Do you add water or do you not add water? For myself and for most of the connoisseurs of whiskey that I know and people who work in the industry, they say add a little drop of water because it, it opens up the aromas and the so flavour. A drop of water. Don't drown but not, it, but a drop. Not a drop of ice, one ice cube. Well, ice, I mean, ice. That, that's that's for the Americans really, isn't it? Okay. Oh, shaking, <laughs> not stirred, that kind of thing. Well, I have been known my... to drop an ice cube or two in, but <laughs> the, the classic way when you're tasting whiskey is a drop of water. And leave it at that. Talking about Burns Night, it's tradition for people to have haggis. What, what do you think? Which whiskey would go best to sort of toast the haggis? It's all down to, to personal preference. What I will be raising a glass of is a 10-year-old Glenfarclas malt whiskey. That's what I'll be drinking on the night. That sounds very quite expensive. But moderately expensive, <laughs> moderately expensive. And will you be having haggis? I will, yes, yes. I've, I've, I've got my haggis already. Have you? I'm going to get one, but I, I'm not vegetarian, but I'm going to get a veggie haggis. Cause, yeah, They're I not just, bad, actually. They're, they're lovely. You still get the flavour and you get the mm. oats and you get the experience, but just it's, without... It's the, it's the spicing of it that oh, really totally. makes the haggis. Totally, but without the extras. Oh, definitely. But I just don't like the thought of the other bits and bobs that go into the (laughs) traditional one. (laughs) Maybe after a couple of whiskeys, I might go for it. (laughs) Well, Joe, lang me your lamrik. I don't know what that means. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I did learn one. Oh, I'm going to say totally wrong now. Glancha? Slancha. 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 So it's time for wine of the month. So we talked about Chasselas the Great earlier on. Phil, you promised us great things with your tasting recommendations. What have you got for us? Well, yes, hoist by my own petard, as it mm, were. Yes. Uh, anyway, yes, you can get Chasselas as a varietal wine, mm-hmm. but nobody I can find locally has oh, any. Oh, okay, yeah. But there's a number of people, if you go onto the old interweb, mm-hmm. you can order this okay. stuff by yep. post. So yep. Venatis have got a Chasselas Belfie, yep. La Cave de Genève. So this is your genuine Swiss version. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 2021, 100% Chasselas. And they wax lyrical about it being citrus fruit, expressive bouquet of fig and pear, supple with golden yellow colour. Mmm. Mm. It's 16.95 a bottle, but nonetheless. Okay. Uh, there is a way of getting your lips around this wine, mm-hmm. perhaps without going to quite that extent. Okay. Because we talked about it as being a blending grape. And yes. that's frankly, the vast majority of what it's used yeah, for. Yeah. And there's two particular wines I'm going to highlight to you. Now, we mentioned yep. before that it's grown in France, yep. but the part of France where it's mainly grown is Alsace, up, 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 up that, there, up that on the German bit, border, the, bit, the yep. argued over bit. Mm. And there are two wines there from yeah. the uh, Alsace region, which I'm going to commend to you. One is the Edelsvicker. Oh, I love that. Edelsvicker. Yes. Which is, uh, it translates as noble blend. Mm -hmm. But interestingly, it is a blend of Alsace grapes, which no longer have to be the noble grapes of Alsace. Oh, okay. There's a certain grapes in Alsace which are recognised as being noble. Tremina, Pinot Blanc, Riesling. Yep. That is a blend of all those. And they can be vinified separately or all together. And it's kind of like a, a, a field wine where you've got a number of vines in a field. You harvest them all together. You ferment them mm. all together and you produce a wine uh, greater than the sum of its parts. That's quite nice. Okay. And that, that should be coming in about 
nine ten quid a bottle okay i reckon that's, that's, you know, try, try our friends at general wine they, they've, yeah. they've usually got one on the yeah. shelf somewhere okay the other one is the posh version of that Ooh. which is gentil g-e-n-t-i-l mm. now this is different in that it has to be at least 50 percent of Riesling, Muscat, Pinot Gris, or and or Gewurztraminer, mm -hmm. noble grapes. Yeah. And the other fifty percent is blending grapes, typically okay. Savannah and Chasselas. Chasselas. You, you see, it did come into it. It did come into the picture. Yeah, yeah. But in this case, all those grapes have to be vinified separately. Oh wow. And then they're blended. Wow. So these grapes have to qualify as AOC Alsace wines. In, in their, their own, own right, before you blend them, before they mm. get to be blended, so it's like drinking your way through the whole table of wines in Alsace in one bottle. I'm guessing that's a tiny bit more expensive then, because the production methods are yeah, a bit more complicated. It's, it's a little bit more expensive, but um, probably worth a try. Actually, you should be yeah. looking at kind of fourteen quid a bottle for yeah. something pretty reasonable. Yeah, and it's worth a try. It's a really, it's a really interesting glass of wine. If I am you going like to set myself off to go something and a bit, that. bit fruity tiny bit sweet as a lot of mm. the Alsace wines are yeah we're not talking kind of dessert wine sweet we're talking just no, no. off food dry and, yeah excellent um, I am going to go and explore that thank you I've well been well worth a try and that's it for this month oh no have we talked our way that around quickly, another hour gosh we have haven't we all right oh dear what are we doing next month then Phil well next month we're going to go out on the town. Oh, we are. Absolutely. We're going lots to of new places yeah. have opened. There's lots of exciting things going on in Petersfield. Yep. We it's a dirty job, but somebody's more. got to go and sample it. Excellent, excellent, excellent. So, yes, really look forward to that. Have we got a grape of the month? Well, it's your turn to pick. And we've just done white, so I think it should be a red grape. All right. Well, I'm fairly sure we haven't done Pinot Noir, so let's do that, Phil. I like a bit of Pinot Noir. Pinot Noir it is. Yes. It's a very on-trend sort of grape Oh, as well. my gosh. Are I... we in danger of being hip? <laughs> no, that's that's no, just that's... not going to happen. No. All right. Okay. Pinot Noir then. So uh, I'll, talk, I'll, I'll find one. You talk about it. It's a deal. Yeah. So until then, yeah. bye for bye now. to the VHS video format which author predicted the Apollo moon landing who became the youngest winner of the Wimbledon men's singles title Petersfield's Shine Radio with Ian Crossman I have quiz questions on all sorts of topics for you to test your general knowledge and see if you can score the magical 5 out of 5 The Brighter Minds Quiz is proudly supported by Churches College every Saturday and Sunday night from 9 Petersfield's Shine Radio